Hey, you know why you were clapping? Because because uh, Resistance Radio was coming on. <laughs> Say hello, everybody. This is John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. Uh, Regan DeLoggins will be joining us uh, towards the end of the show. <laughs> I do have a beef with the idea of the President of the United States, or who we call Rana de Gaius, um, Trying to share a holiday. Look, Andrew Cuomo, you know, insisted, uh, along with Bill de Blasio, insisted that the New York City schools couldn't celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day unless they paired it up with Columbus Day. And, you know, and and all of this is is really based on this idea that that there's such an aversion to offending Italian Americans. And and the problem is if you if you look at what um, uh, um, Biden's proclamation was on Columbus Day, he immediately gets into trying to associate Columbus with Italian-Americans. Let me be, let me be clear uh, again, and, and I keep going through this. Columbus was not Italian. The conventional wisdom on Columbus's ethnicity or whatever you want to call it, nationality, he was genuine. He was from Genoa. In 1492, Italy was not a country. The peninsula that looks like a boot, that, that landmass was called Italy or Italia, but it wasn't a country. It was it was a it was just a landmass. Genoa isn't on the peninsula. Genoa is on the the mainland of uh, of Europe. It was a a bit of a, it was considered a city state. It was actually bigger than a city, but it was it was a, essentially a nation unto itself. In fact, the southern part of the peninsula was ba- was basically under Spanish control. The center part of the peninsula was the remnants of Rome. But where where Columbus was from was was more significantly influenced by Spain and Portugal than by by this notion of Italian ethnicity or identity. And I would argue, and this isn't this is something that nobody talks about. I would argue that the actions of, of Columbus and people like Columbus would contribute more to the degradation of those of, of the very people who would would migrate to the United States to to escape Italy. That they that their actions would contribute the idea of bolstering up the Catholic Church and the aristocracy and and the monarchies and all that other stuff. I mean. The, the reason that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of Italians leaving Italy to come to the United States wasn't because they were brave explorers trying to uh, you know, in, <laughs> develop spice routes for Italy. They were leaving. They were they were essentially economic refugees. Why? Because countries like the European monarchs, which ultimately it, Italy would be would become a nation state, would would become every bit the aristocracies that that all the European nations were. So I mean, if anything, I would suggest that that guys like Christopher Columbus would have led to the degradation of some of these cultures that so many Europeans, including Italians, would would flee to come to the United States. I mean, Columbus wasn't fleeing persecution. And he wasn't really, I mean, look, was it a risky uh, venture? Yeah, it was risky. Why? Because he was a moron. He miscalculated the size of the earth by, by almost half. Had there not been a Western hemisphere that, uh, full of unknown continents, to at least to Columbus, 
he would have he and his men would have died at sea. There was no way they could, they, were, they could have possibly reached East Asia if I mean if they hadn't struck land that he never even knew what what it was. I mean he never knew that the land that he struck wasn't East Asia. He died believing. I mean, how do you call somebody a discoverer if they can't even acknowledge what where they ended up? He had no idea that he was on uh, that. He, I mean, he thought he was on the eastern islands of uh, of Asia. He he thought he'd reached the Indies. And you know what? <laughs> Rather than than correcting that narrative, they call the Caribbean the West Indies <laughs> because hey, they're islands. Uh, uh, those people on there, we we already called them Indians, so let's not call, we'll call it the West Indies. I mean, and to listen to to Joe Biden's proclamations and and two distinct proclamations, one which you know he laments that that native people, of course, and of course he's got to call us freaking Indians. I mean, as if that's not another legacy of Columbus. I mean, he can't he can't even refer to us consistently as indigenous people or as native people. He has to call us American Indians because well, obviously we're Indians and we've been Americanized. I mean, he goes on to talk about the atrocities that Native people experienced and, and that somehow, in spite of the the promise, you know, the the, um, the, the values that the country was conceived upon, <laughs> somehow Native people got missed in all that. And somehow, in spite of best efforts, the United States failed to, uh, to live up to its promise. It lived up to its exact promise. So, look... You know, I was I, I realized that, you know, this is like I said, this is the definition of lip service when you say these things and don't mean it. And when, that's the legacy of the United States saying things they didn't mean injustice for all. All men are created equal. They didn't mean that stuff. Not in the way that people are trying to interpret it today. That was meant all white people are created equal. And, and, and really, what he was trying to suggest is that colonists who were separating themselves from British control were equal to, you know, to to the Brits. That that the white people who used to be British and now want independence uh, can be independent and equal to their uh, you know, to their motherland. That's what he was really talking about. He wasn't talking about black people being equal, native people being equal, or or anybody else for that matter. I mean, so you know, I listened to this stuff. And when I, I mean, to listen to Joe Biden suggest that they want to, you know, that he's committed to recognizing sovereignty, inherent sovereignty. No, you're not. And look, and even this crap associated with with once again trying to protect Bears ears and and, and the uh, and the, and the Grand Staircase, looking at a pub, uh, you know, a national monument. Give the land back. It's called land back, <laughs> land back, making a national monument. How'd that work out in the past? Well, Trump went around and turned, her, turned around and reversed it. So, you know, as I listened to, again, to this pandering, to this lip service, to this, this constant drumbeat of words that are meaningless, including all oh, my commitment to, uh, you know, to have all my agencies uh, stay in direct consultation with Native people. Look, and to do this whole tribal summit thing again, which you're probably going to do virtually anyway, um, that was a joke when Obama did it. I mean, millions of dollars of Native resources were spent so 
all these nations could send their representatives to Washington for a photo op in front of the Christmas tree in the White House. Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, as if this whole you know great white father who happened to be black at the time um, myth wasn't wasn't bad enough. You, we've got to have further assimilation by posing in front of the Christmas tree. Look, I've said it before. The legacy of Christopher Columbus is the doctrine of Christian discovery. It's this whole idea that this this church dogma, which would become codified in U.S. law, would be used to steal land, to enslave people, and to take any wealth, any uh, you know, any assets that a people who were not already Christians, and just take it. And the church condones it. No, I take it back. They didn't condone it. They they encouraged it. And even as the church, you know, breaks down between, you know, the Protestant sects, the Anglican churches and everything else, they all held on to this. This wasn't one of the things they rejected. In fact, racism would be, it would be celebrated in all Christian denominations. And we could argue about other, uh, you know, other organized church anyway, other organized religions. But certainly... Every every Christian denomination, at its core, at, you know, at its at its at its hallmark was racism. And you know, even even the the other ones like the Mormons. I mean, yeah, they they it, it was all there. It was all there. For me, when when I hear people sending me messages on social media, hey, did you hear the president acknowledges acknowledged uh, Indigenous Peoples Day? Yeah, I don't even know which proclamation did he do first. And let's see, did he do the Columbus one first? Did he do the indigenous people? And does it matter? You know, and look, Regan's going to be joining us uh, hopefully towards the end of the program. And I, so I'll let Regan descri- describe the arrests. Oh, yeah. Indigenous Peoples Day? How was that celebrated? 135 people were arrested outside the White House. And why were they there? Because Biden issues these false promises to Native people. That include things like, oh, we're we're gonna help you. Or, what, what did he say? What did he say? Oh man, this is a, this is a good one. Some, oh, that we that we safeguarded the land since time immemorial. Really? <laughs> so you're acknowledging our safeguarding of the land as we're trying to stop pipelines from traversing our lands, and and clean up and, and really trying to do whatever we can to offset. What this country, more than any other country, has done to adversely affect climate change. And, you know, look, we know that we're not going to stop that. You know, so part of it is, is trying to lessen the damage. And you know, like, like Reggie and I were saying before the show, we're bracing ourselves. We're bracing ourselves for a degradation of the United States, its system. Look, it's been, never been more polarized. I, look, I, I understand there have been rival factions of, of, of political factions in the United States for, for many, many years. And those lines get real blurry as, as to who is who. I mean, the idea of, you know, murals of George Washington at Nazi uh, party conventions in, at Madison Square Garden in New York City. I mean, that's the truth, folks. That's that's the facts. I mean, that happened. I mean, where the lines get blurry is is that we, we want to say what we think is the situation now is the way it's always been. And it's not. I mean, those, I mean, who are the good guys? Who are the good guys? I mean, the guys, you know, fighting to defend slavery 
or the guy's trying to start a slave revolt because, uh, you know, while he's hanging, you know, 38 Dakota by the neck in a single gallows. I don't, I don't, who's the good guys? You know, the, the idea of trying to uh, um, emancipate um, a people from slavery and then create a policy where Buffalo soldiers, where, where, where black men pre- who were previously slaves, will be rewarded for helping to kill Native people? You know, and, and, and prison us on, on reservations? So who are the good guys? Are the good guys the ones who actually drop nuclear weapons? They're the good guys? Because there's only one country that's done that. So, uh, look, if I criticize Biden... Don't anybody for a second think or suggest that, that, I, that I would have preferred Trump. That's not the issue. Because here's the real issue. If you can't critically think, if you can't apply critical thinking to both parties, or it wouldn't matter if there were three or four more parties, because frankly, I, I have an issue with all of them. Oh, uh, that's awesome. But if you can't apply critical thinking to to the political systems, no matter how many parties there are, then you're not applying critical thinking. Regan, I, w- I was waiting for you um, uh, to talk about the arrest that took place in uh, outside the White House uh, over the, the Line 3 protests. Um, my I I I'm livid with this idea that 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 Joe Biden would dare make two proclamations, one promoting this myth of Italian-American heritage and and trying to make it sound like he paved the way for Italian immigration or some damn thing um, and then and do this this you know BS you know proclamation for Indigenous Peoples Day as people are protesting outside the White House so please fill us in on what took place <laughs> well first of all can y'all hear me okay Yes, we can. Yes. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> Reggie, it's so glad to hear your voice as well. Um, well, first, you know, what's going on in D.C. is a part of a week-long uh, action week uh, in, I guess, recognition of climate change and climate activism. And obviously it correlated with Indigenous Peoples Day. And so a number of different Indigenous folks from all over um, the so-called United States converged on D.C. with the intention of uh, bringing awareness or... Uh, I hate the term asking for, but rather bringing awareness to a number of the resource extractive industries that have continued to, you know, plague our lands, obviously line three being one of them. And there were, you know, a hundred, what was the number? 133 people fully arrested in front of the White House yesterday. Actually, contemporarily in this moment, a number of indigenous activists are in um, the Department of the Interior and being arrested at this moment. If folks are interested in viewing what that looks like, it's I would recommend going to Instagram and going to Indigenous Rising, who has uh, had the live video um, and has consistently maintained live uh, videos throughout the actions in D.C., whether outside of the White House or with whether within um, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I think it's also important to note that this is the first this is the second time um, since the 1970s in which indigenous people have uh, occupied the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which is a pretty exciting moment to be witnessing, even if it is through Instagram Live. But I did want to hop on what you were saying previously about the Biden administration, because as we've talked about many times on the show, placating the settler colonial politics has never really provided us any insight, especially in terms of uh, fighting climate injustices. So I think that 
you're you challenging you know the democratic and the republican systems like it's we talk about this all the time on the show it's irrelevant it doesn't matter if it's a democrat it doesn't matter if it's a republican it doesn't matter if it's a million other parties in the end they all uphold settler colonial politics and then therefore have no interest in indigenous sovereignty Right. I mean, we're fighting the the Obama administration over uh, Keystone XL pipeline, over Dakota Access pipeline. Uh, we've been, you know, so anybody who thinks that that whoever sits in that office is somehow going to really change. I mean, because this is about what is the national interest of the United States. It isn't about right well, or I wrong. Think that- I mean, this is this is no different than shareholder. You know, when a corporation is says, you know, you know, let let the the general public be damned. My responsibilities to the shareholders. Well, that's the same thing with politics. It, it's about who these guys are beholding to. Well, I also want I want to you know touch on what um, you know Biden's proclamation for Indigenous Peoples Day, which you know a lot of people, even in Indian country, really celebrated. And I want to challenge that because if, you know, if folks haven't read the proclamation, which I recommend y'all do, you know, a lot of it is still framing indigenous people through the eyes of settler colonial narratives in terms of like uh, honoring how we've contributed to this country, honoring how we've sacrificed ourselves to this country. A lot of the language within the proclamation really, you know, all of the language within the proclamation really uh embraced assimilation like it didn't embrace indigeneity or or discuss uh, our resistance against settler colonialism obviously because you know how how would the white house ever really acknowledge that but i think it's imperative that folks understand that the language within the proclamation was purposefully one that looks to identify indigenous history through assimilation tactics like we can only be celebrated when we uphold the settler colonial narrative. We can only be celebrated when we participate in ongoing imperialism. Like it was very like indigenous vet heavy language, um, very like celebrating how indigenous people have contributed to the larger capitalist market. Like it was actually an incredibly disgusting proclamation. Well, and even even the whole I, I, there's like a, a, a shift in the in the language now. They keep wanting to use this word resiliency. You know, yes. oh, they don't want to in- talk about resistance. Yeah, this resiliency, this, this is what drives me nuts because it's like, yeah, no matter what we do to you, you guys keep coming back. You know, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's so almost it's like so it's almost like making us even seem more ignorant. Am, am I wrong? Am I right or wrong here? Honestly, it like it the, the language. I really hi- like to you know to the, to our listeners. I highly recommend reading the proclamation because it was so callous. It was callous. And obviously written by white people, you know, trying to be like, <laughs> I laughed again. I say this all the time, but I laugh to keep from crying. But like honoring our resiliency and the contributions we've made to society and the sacrifices we've made for, you know, ongoing imperialism. Like those are the three things that settlers always need and use in order to uplift or placate their own political position when framing indigenous people in a very specific light they're not like you know they're not talking about how we have resisted them but rather how we've upheld them which is you know grotesque but we also see that same that same language is also mimicked in the artwork that we see in the way that we're depicted specifically when we're looking at statues and monuments it's always indigenous people uplifting white people like this is all an interconnected narrative the way that we are portrayed in the media, the way that we're written about in the media, even in terms of what's going on in D.C., trying to frame indigenous resistance against settler colonialism through the placation of settler colonial politics, like asking Biden for or, you know, 
trying to work with the administration is just not the reality of how we actually live our lives. Like we live our lives in complete opposition to the state. Well, and, and you're, you talk about how we're uh, represented in art. I dare people to do – look, you don't have to go anywhere. You can do this online. Take a look at many of the um, Columbus statues that exist throughout the, the United States. In Columbus Circle, in Syracuse, and these two come to mind because they, they have native people at the feet of Columbus. Literally at the feet. About, at, the feet. at the feet of them. I mean, and that proclamation so, is the same thing. That proclamation that Biden made is the exact same thing. We are at the feet of Biden. This wasn't this of, of the Biden administration. This isn't meant to respect or honor us. We are at the feet of the oppressor always. Yeah, and I mean, just to listen to these things, you know, said in in the in the tone that they are, but it it is just it's it is really so frustrating and. And you're right to, for, to have this conversation taking place and not acknowledge that that there's native people outside the White House as he was speaking and to ignore them. I, it, it is it's just so frustrating. And, you know, and, and the fact that native native people would be arrested. And, and it is. Look, I, I'm thrilled that as we speak, this occupation of the Bureau of Interferes is happening, you know, for the first time in, in almost 50 years. Um, it is yeah, some of some of these services and these people getting put in these positions. Look, we've had native people that have been placed in positions of of you know, whatever you want to call it, power, authority, decision-making, supposedly, in the Bureau of Indian Affairs for you know, for decades. And now as Deb Haaland sits there as, as the Interior Secretary, we're still you know, being hit with this notion that we, that somehow, what, this is like reparations for the damage that has been done? And I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, on this re-announcement or, you know, reconstituting Bears Ears and um, as as a um, national monument, but that's not the same thing as us getting land back. Wait, John, can you repeat what you just said? I lost you for a moment. Yeah. Um, this, this designation of, uh, uh, you know, uh, more territory from bears ears and the, and the um, um, grand staircase, uh, some of this redesignation uh, to undo what, what Trump did look designating ancestral lands as a national monument it may seem like a cheap and easy ploy for the United States, but it, it, it but it is just that it, it is the same as the same kind of lip service. It's not well, the same thing as Native people getting the land back, getting control of land well, back. Also, we have to talk about releasing lands that are national parks, federal and state parks and like expanding them in order to like push back what the Trump administration did is not land back. In exactly. fact, it, we exactly. talk, I mean, we talk about this all the time. National parks, state parks are land trusts. And they were specifically created after Indian removal. Uh, you can follow the timeline. As a part as of Indian removal, as far as Teddy as Roosevelt was Indian concerned. Yeah. 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 All of the national parks and state parks were created this, like right after indigenous, like large populations of indigenous folks were removed in order to, to keep land away from us. And they're all held in trust by the government, which like that's not that isn't land back. So people who are like really celebrating the fact that the Biden administration is expanding the bear's ears, you know, pushing back on what the Trump administration did as if that is some exercise of indigenous sovereignty truly do not understand that national parks are not indigenous land. They are our land, but they've been withheld from us through grant and trust. 
which is the same right. way that reservations work, in fact. So, which, you know, so I find I find that narrative to just be completely ignorant and naive in terms of what it looks like. Like, we need to understand that national parks were created after the Indian Removal Act, after the Trail of Tears, and other government-funded, executed, violent removals of us off our land. The intention of creating them is to keep us away from them. So I find anybody who is celebrating that is really unaware of what it means when we say land back. Theodore Roosevelt was was one of the most was one of the most extreme white supremacists, and and he's regarded as the beginning of the modern pre, uh, presidency. That's you know that's how they tout it here in Buffalo because he became president because McKinley, who was another white supremacist, was uh, assassinated here here in Buffalo. So Roosevelt becomes re- the, the president because of a because of a bullet, and. And and I still have people today say, yeah, I don't like Roosevelt, but I'm sure glad he did the whole national parks thing. But you don't understand. Again, so even Native people will say that sometimes. So this idea that that parks have been this, you know, a mechanism to somehow preserve land. No, it's not about well, land preservation. It's still about land seizure. Exactly. You know what? What? What people fail to mention in terms of discussing national parks is how they're systemic keepers of white supremacy and they specifically cater to whiteness. They're inaccessible, they're unaffordable and they're racist spaces. And they and they idealize nature for white people and settlers and colonizers to explore. So like if they maintain actually this false narrative, this mythos of like a pristine wilderness uh, of untouched, you know, like untouched by the forces of capital and industry. It's, it's meant to gaslight the visitor into thinking that national parks are somewhere that they can exist um, free of free of industry and therefore actually justifies the destruction of land elsewhere. You'll see actually, it's, you know, that's a connection that we, we don't talk about enough in terms of when we talk about climate activism is that national parks are used to and weaponized against us so that industry can destroy our lands. Pipeline can go well, through I, this part of land, but don't forget that Yellowstone exists over here. Like it's a tit for tat industry, so we can't ignore that national parks are actually in cahoots with resource extraction. Oh, and absolutely. yes, like you said, and, it's a maintenance and, and, and of like, seizure of in, indigenous land. Well, and, and as you talked about this idea of uh, again the white aristocracy and the role that these uh, these parks played, the the Adirondack Park. Which is you know this sprawling area of land in in New York State uh, that has that attributes much of its existence uh, to Teddy Roosevelt had these things they call these great camps these huge luxurious inns they would actually they actually ran railroad tracks so uh, you know so wealthy people could travel into the Adirondacks to stay at these grand camps along these pristine lakes and forests of uh, uh, of the Adirondacks i mean this was this was a playground for the rich and many of these places if you go to to many of these um, so-called national parks you're going to see these grand Older um, uh, facilities that were built to cater to to, to the to the wealthy to cater to whiteness uh, aristocracy yeah exactly the exactly. intention the intention of public lands of national parks which are lands managed by the government is to continue imperialism through continued expansion onto our lands to keep us away yeah. from our territories to keep us away from our lifeways by maintaining by like maintaining this idea of like a patriotic and benign experience for settlers settlers can go onto land and experience. Uh, nonviolence can experience the land and then leave. And, you know, that's not the reality for indigenous, pe- uh, you know, indigenous people. We are interconnected to the land, to the waters and to our communities. So to assume that people can just like mosey on 
play explorer and then leave just really it really highlights how how uh, how disconnected people are into what the actual purpose of national parks is uh you know yeah, like exactly. the reality is that national parks state parks and local parks uh are our land and that access to them is not also access to them is not the same as having and as as them being exercised as uh as spaces for uh, for well, what's the word i'm looking for yeah no I, to exercise no, exactly. our sovereignty you, you, like those are that's like totally different yeah and five dollars per car five dollars per car you can you can come here too yeah, exactly. And the fact that people are making that synonymous is absurd. And honestly, it's usually leftists. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and this is – that's a good point to bring up because this is where we find some of the, the, the left-wing environmental movement – can be very, very condescending. Can be very, very, very uh, patronizing, uh, you know, to uh, to native people. I mean, and and this is this is our experience. So, it it is tough because you know we have a fight on our hands, whether it's with the right or or the left. I mean, if 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 there is really even a left, I guess I don't know. But uh, it's not no, even this a is, fight our... with the right or the left. We do not align with the right or the left because the right exactly. or the left don't have any intention of actually exercising what it looks like to be in solidarity with us which is like the complete removal of y'all off our land so like even you know we talk about accompliship in terms of often marrying it to leftist politics but the reality is that as we've seen time and time again leftist leftist politics don't actually uphold what it looks like for us to be in self-determination or community determination there's actually no intention for them to work with us, but will arguably always work against us because they can't reckon with the fact that they're settlers themselves. Well, and and again, we get some paid that same kind of lip service from whether it's the Green Party or or, or any any other organization because we are kind of an afterthought that that might look good if if we're somehow aligned with them. And so we get this from the Democrats, we get this from the the Green Party. We get you know, so we get we get pandered to. But it's but it's meaningless, and and actually it's worse than meaningless because it's damaging, and, and I think that's where, you know, I've, it's got to go beyond us being uh, offended by this. No, some mm. of this stuff is detrimental. It it is harmful, and, well, and I, that's I think, why we speak out on it. I think it's imperative that we debunk the myth that national parks are wilderness untouched by humans because they were tended for, cared for, loved organized and homes for indigenous peoples who were violently removed off of them to make room for white people to play fantasy, like to cosplay wholeness with nature rather than to organize against institutions destroying our lands. So like white people that have access to our land so freely and who's at, who advocate for national parks, it's a way for them, as I said, to cosplay this idea of wholeness to nature because they actually have no righteous connection to our lands. So it's imperative that we debunk a, that, theory, that theory. Water is a perfect example of this because beyond the, the lands that are considered these parks is uh, is access to water. Listening to what are the criterion for Native people to even have access to to water that they have been, you know, connected to for thousands of years. It's like, well, yeah, well, what is your real need? I mean, we have golf courses. What, what do you have? I mean, so there's this idea of assessing need and population and legacy. 
and inherent rights, they have nothing to do with it. I mean, that's and that's how the Bureau of Land Management and, and all of these other organizations that you know that that claim to have environmental uh, concerns, uh, you know, f- first and foremost. No, it, it's it it ends up being about who has access, who has rights, and who doesn't. And yeah. and I'm sorry, sovereignty, inherent sovereignty, all of this stuff that that. Uh, all, all the smoke that was being blown up our butts by uh, by Joe Biden for, uh, during his proclamation, oh. none of that fits into the narrative. Of course it doesn't, because if it actually fit into the narrative, then they would, you know, end resource extraction. Like, they would get, you know, stop holding national uh, national park land and trusts away from indigenous people. If it was actual an, a, a genuine understanding of what sovereignty looked like, then Biden would get the hell off our land. But the reality is that that's not the intention. It's lip service. And it's not even lip service for indigenous communities. It's for the people. It's lip service for a reelection. Right, right. That's because exactly as we know, politicians are just concerned with reelection. And he's already paving that. Yep. Yeah. I mean, look. The, so the, the bear, you know, bear's is- ears being, you know, the, uh, you know, challenging what the Trump administration did with bear's ears and reopening it up. That's not helpful. Uh, ignoring the fact that indigenous people are in the Bureau of Indian Affairs as we speak are not helpful. Making his ridiculous proclamation about Indigenous Peoples Day while indigenous people are being arrested outside of the White House is just, these are all just, you know, it's it's absurd. Right. Like, and and part of you know, and even the Bears Ears thing. People don't understand that. I'm sorry, say that again? The Bears Ears thing has more to do with uh, with with Biden trying to get more mileage out of the debacle that was the Trump, uh, you know, presidency. And also, they're they're make- they're worried. They're worried about what's going to happen in uh, in the, in the midterm elections because the the likelihood is the Republicans are going to uh, you know grab grab seats back. And you know they, they you see the system just degrading. I mean, year by year. I mean, term by term, however you want to measure it by. But the 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 degradation of the American political system could not be more evident today than uh, you know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how how more obvious it can be. But we also can't ignore that this is a tit for tat polit like it's a political praxis. And the reason I say yeah. that is, you know, rectifying what happened at Bears Ears does not divorce the fact that the Biden administration has deported more indigenous people than the Trump administration ever did. So right. And, and there's a lot of criticism around that. The fact that the Biden administration has maintained, you know, these labor and concentration camps that are holding indigenous people at the border. The fact that the Biden administration violently uh, participated in, you know, literal whipping of Haitian people crossing the border. You know, like this is like we can't ignore that there have been and there is violence still being done to indigenous people at the border. So the placation of this, like a bear's ears is just a placation of that. And so we can see that it's a tit for tat politics. So there's not actually any intention to rectify the wrongs that are happening, but rather to uh, to look good enough for a reelection campaign. Yes. You know, I deported a bunch of undocumented people, but I also made bears ears more accessible. Like that's not how it works. And I also think it's important and imperative to know that these are both um, these are both issues that impact indigenous people the most. Right. Like these right. are actually indigenous issues. Bears ears and, and national parks is an indigenous issue in the same way that, uh, you know, righteous immigration and migration over colonial borders is an indigenous issue. So these are violence like we are being tokenized to cater to a reelection campaign. 
Right. And and, that, and that's, you know, that's exactly what all of this is. I mean, because there are long term solutions and land back is uh, is obviously one of them. I mean, and, and it's, it's the and only it's one, really the it's only, the only yeah, one. And, right. And, you know, and the thing is, they're also be, the management of these so-called national forests and, and state forests is really going to crap. That's why you part, that's part of what, you know, beyond glo- uh, climate change, that's part of the reason you have the, these vast forest fires that you have, because many of these these forests were managed by native people for thousands of years. And n- now now they're having a hard time even keeping employees at these, uh, you know, at, at these state parks. Well, if you can't maintain it, then then give it back. Just give it back. I also I really think it's imperative that folks understand that settler colonial settler colonialism is impervious to regime change. It does not right. matter who is in the White House. It is a fact that there is a White House. So it does yeah. not matter who is at the helm of it. For me, it was irrelevant if Trump or Biden was elected because I knew both of them would uphold the same policies, which is a policy of imperialism, a policy of colonialism, a policy based inherently on anti-blackness and anti-indigeneity. So, you know, for for folks to even be trying to navigate this as, oh, well, you know, the Biden administration is attempting to, you know, work with indigenous people by making a proclamation about Indigenous Peoples Day. Like, that's just... We know it's it's just tokenization, but other people don't view it that way. And I think that's absurd. I think it's genuinely absurd that representation politics are not criticized more. If you have to bring begin a sentence, well, at least he did whatever. Well, at least he did. Exactly. How, how, how dare. Oh, well, and, and I also don't want to leave. I don't want to leave um, uh, Justin Trudeau out of this mix either, because oh, the same thing we, we just saw, you know, you know, a call for an election on the Canadian side and native people were being sucked into that, uh, um, it, it, you know, into that election cycle as well. And there is little question uh, about, you know, again, the lip service paid by by Justin Trudeau. And, and look, he's second generation. His his father said some of the most racist and and in uh, and imposed some of the most racist policies of any prime minister that Canada has ever seen. So when I I, I don't want to leave out what's happening on the Canadian side, because it is really, really important that people that native people especially realize that you're not going to find salvation in in the liberal arm of, uh, of of Canadian politics any more than Native people are going to find salvation in uh, in the Democratic or the liberal arm of U.S. politics. I'm really glad that you brought up Canada in this, in, in this very specific perspective because Canada has had this ability to somehow avoid the global criticism that the U.S. has because people assume that Canada is like a safer place because it has universal health care as if that somehow gets rid of like years of genocide. That, you know, like somehow we ignore the fact that the RCMP is actually super militarized and incredibly violent against indigenous people and pe- other people of color as well in the, uh, you know, in so-called Canada. So I really I really dislike that narrative as someone who, you know, has community and fi- and kinship in so-called Canada and has seen like how destructive and violent that narrative is to First Nations people. First Nations people are gaslit constantly because you're told, well, at least you have this. Well, at least you have that. Well, at least there was the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. Well, at least the RCMP was funded to investigate MMIW, which, you know, led to literally one uh, 
one uh, case being closed. You know, like to assume that Canada can somehow escape this uh, violent, benign history is just uh, is just ignorant. Yeah, no, it, it is it it is important to you know to bring this up because we we've seen that history play out as well and and you're right uh, Canada seems to um, manage to avoid you know the same kind of scrutiny that the United States does and I'm going to tell you as a native person whose family uh, um, is on the other side of that imaginary line uh, and who and somebody who's been involved in some of those conflicts that uh, that Mohawks are famous for uh, I know that the racism that native people experience in Canada is as bad as any place on the planet. I mean, uh, of course. And and there's and there's no question. I mean, and the fact that they've tried to reconfigure what is the how how to identify or define what a native person is by by changing matrilineal systems to patrilineal systems, all of this stuff. And I'm going to tell you on the on the on the healthcare thing, native people actually get the worst healthcare out of any people in on the Canadian side. So to the yeah. extent that they've got socialized medicine on the Canadian side, yeah, if you were to, if you were actually to measure though, who is getting the the, the least and the worst healthcare on the Canadian side, it's it's hands down going to be native people. And and you know that's that's no surprise because in the end, settler colonial governments and systems that they maintain like universal healthcare are not considering indigenous people because the intention is to eliminate us, not to serve us. Well, and, and, you know, and they make excuses, well, we're the more difficult ones because we live in rural and remote areas and that kind of stuff. You know, the fact that our po- populations have been decimated by American and U.S. and Canadian policies, um, notwithstanding, right? I mean, so, so, yeah, no, this is, that's exactly what it of is. Of course. Yeah, let's remove exactly let's remove all accountability from the conversation and blame it on indigenous communities, uh, which are, you know, impoverished, um, you know, riddled with uh, with addiction uh, and and far away, and therefore we can't provide them adequate health care. You know, it's, it's and, and, our and again, fault clean drinking water is it? People who think Canada is so pristine. Um, if you were to look at what populations have uh, have the worst access or the least access to to clean drinking water, it's on the on the Canadian side in Ontario. That everybody thinks, oh, Ontario is so pretty there. The the arsenic levels and the cyanide levels that that exist in uh, in, in the in the water systems that that feed into native territories are the worst. I mean, so even the drinking water issue. So whatever you know, and speaking, image you have about Canada, it's not true. And speaking of drinking water, let's talk about how water is weaponized and how two days ago at Yinta Access, which is one of the blockades at Wet'suwet'en. Um, in which, uh, you know, the pipeline is going, is uh, violently being put through British Columbia, through Wet'suwet'en territory. It's something we've talked about a lot on the show. I know we talked about it a bit more last year, but, you know, things are kind of heating up again uh, contemporarily. Literally two days ago, RCP, RCMP officers invaded into the territory and started cutting uh, and pulling out the plugs for the water cisterns with the intention of leaving the camp and people at camp without access to water. There are videos online. I highly recommend that people go on Instagram and go to Yenta Access or with Suet and Checkpoint. Uh, and you can see the videos in which the RCMP weaponizes access to clean drinking water for people, for land defenders. It is it is available. It's happening now in this moment. So for folks to assume that indigenous people above, you know, the so-called border and so-called Canada have access to these things is just absurd. Literally being brutalized by the RCMP as we speak. 
in the same way that indigenous people are being brutalized by cops in D.C. right now. Like this is these are all. Oh, and in the same way that Mapuche people are being brutalized by Chilean cops as we speak right now. Like the fact that these narratives, they, they I think that um, I think that one of the things that settler colonialism benefits off of so much is this idea of compartmentalizing our struggles. And it's imperative that we don't do that. Like we are all yeah, interconnected, not just as indigenous people, but as indigenous people that are advocating and fighting for our land and waters in our communities. And so we cannot try to compartmentalize the violence differently and say one person has it better, one person has it worse. And this is like the reality is that indigenous people are criminalized for advocating for our communities, no matter what well, border, and, and, whatever fake border exists. There is a distinction between um, those of us who are fighting racism and those of us who are fighting settler colonialism and and i'm and i'm not They're trying to separate myself you know from from other people well it, it's the same in many ways i mean obviously racism lies at the foundation of, of, of much of this stuff but there you know I, I go back to sometimes you know rethinking um you know guys like frederick Douglass, you know who in in his attempt to be you know, this world famous abolitionist and and voice for uh, you know for freeing uh, you know people from slavery, he also bought into the in, into the manifest destiny narrative. And so there is a distinction because if you can't fight for your freedom and and acknowledge that other people are fighting for their freedom and and they may mean a little bit of a different thing, then. Maybe you don't understand what what freedom really is, and even even if that destination may not be exactly the same, because obviously we're fighting for sovereignty and distinction and autonomy, and many people in many of these struggles that exist are really just fighting for equality within the system of colonialism, and that's I guess the distinction that I'm trying to raise. I think that's an important distinction to make, but I also want to challenge that and say that you know, as people who are identify as people who identify as indigenous divorced from the state, not defined by settler colonialism. I find solace in black communities that do that exact same work. And I think that the the solidarity between oh, black yeah, liberation and indigenous liberation is the only way um, that we will ever find freedom. And so I think that that distinction is important, but also in, uh, I don't want to ignore the work that is done by- No separation though, no separation. I, I, I agree. No Distinct. separation, rather- I, I'm wearing like, my Colin Kaepernick shirt. I'm wearing my Colin Kaepernick yeah, shirt I, today, by the way. <laughs> I just, I want I mean, to no, know that because I think distinction is not separation. Solidarity with black liberation as an indigenous, as someone who's also absolutely, for absolutely. sovereignty. Right. I, I agree with that hundred percent. Reggie, we must be, yeah, we got to be just about out of time. Regan, I want to thank you so much. And you know, again, thanks for the, the great work that you do. And uh, I will do it again next week. This is John Kane with Regan DeLoggins, and this is Resistance Radio. We'll see you next week. Yahweh. No